journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, shavua tov, a well, warm, warm welcome. It's actually a beautiful winter's day. And uh, we're back to learn Torah together with each other for the next 45 minutes. Love you to come on the journey with me. As always, please participate on 34519. That is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. And we are learning Genesis. We are in the middle of the very tumultuous, quite quite dramatic story of Joseph and the reunification of his brothers. Um, and we're now going to be starting chapter 43. So if you are in the comfort of the home and you are able to follow in, please be my guest. Chapter 43 is where we are um, going to be starting. Where we left off last week was that Joseph sent his brothers packing back home um, he had given back all the money that they had spent. Um, and by the time they got home, they were visibly nervous because they found all the money refunded in their uh, pockets. And on top of it, they had left their brother Shimon as a uh, as collateral. And they went on to convert, try to convince their father, Jacob, that they needed to go back and that they had to bring Benjamin and uh the end of chapter 42, Jacob was very adamant that he was not going to lo lose now a third son um, and send Benjamin back. And I guess they let sleeping dogs lie until dot, dot, dot. Chapter 43, verse 1, the famine became worse in the land. And um, it says that brother Judah, Yehuda, said to his brothers, let's leave our old father alone because soon food will be used up and whether he wants it or not, um, he's going to have to allow us to take Benjamin. So they basically played a waiting game and they waited until the circumstances, you know, as they say, your back's against the wall. Well, his back was against the wall and um, they waited until that point of time where Yaakov would realize there actually was no other option. And that's in fact what happened. Verse 2, When they had finished up eating all the supplies that they had brought back from Egypt, right? They were down to the, to the last brass the farthing, as we say. By Yomer Alehem Avihem, their father said to them, Shuvu lanu me'at ochel, you have to go back and you have to procure a little bit of food for us. So you can see they had, they had tremendous respect for, for Yaakov. Um, they did not want to press, uh, press him and they made with the little, they made do with whatever little they had until he himself agreed that they had to go back to Egypt. But what what was his plan, though? The Midrash goes and tells us that Jacob went and said, you go back, some of you, go and test, buy us some food, test that Egyptian, and let a few of you only go. Um, and maybe maybe let's go see the vi if the viceroy has changed his mind about his demands. And if you see that he's still stubborn, he still is remaining firm, 
then you can tell him that you only came down for a small amount of food that will last a very short while. And then you can tell him, all right, well, then what's going to happen is um, the rest of your brothers will soon come down with Benjamin. And what Yaakov was hoping that was that they would gain some more time and maybe God would create a miracle for them. But by Yomer Alav Yehuda, Yehuda says to them, says to his father, Lamor, Ha'ed, Ha'ed, Banu, Ha'ish, Lamor. And the man repeatedly warned us, saying, Lo tiru fanai bilti achichem itchem. You are not to see my face unless your brother is with you. Im yeshcha mishalech et achinu itanu nerda v'nishbara lecha achel. If you will consent, however, dear father, says Yehuda, to send our brother with us, mean to send Benjamin with us, we will go down and get food for you. But if you do not allow us to take down, if you're not going to send um, Benjamin, you're not going to send him with us. Um, we are not going to go down, dear father, because this man had told us, Do not see my face unless your brother is with you. The end. Like Yehuda now, now spe, uh, spelt it in black and white that this viceroy, this Egyptian was not interested and there was no negotiations. And the Midrash goes and tells us that Yaakov's small grandchildren were surrounding him and pleading him, saying that let, let, let our, our fathers go for we are all going to die of hunger. And the Midrash tells us a little bit more about what Yehuda said. He said to um, his father, Yaakov, if you saw his palace, if you saw his throne, how his servants stood before him in order and at attention, if you saw him sitting on his throne, he was radiant as a full moon. He had beautiful vestments. His crown was on his head. There is nothing like it, no matter how far you travel in any direction. If you hear him speak and you listen to his pleasant, authoritative voice, speaking with such authority, you would take him to be a prophet. And know that he was kind of like a prophet. We don't know how, but he knew all our names. He knew things that happened to us that even we had forgotten. He also asked about you, whether you were still alive. And we told him you were still alive and well and about all the things you'd experienced. And you should see how all the Egyptian aristocrats and governors act according to his words. No man can lift or do a thing without his authority. No one asks Pharaoh anymore. If this man says something, that's sufficient. So you can see all the fear and trepidation for all the men, all, that all the men have for him. And now... You're asking us to go without Benjamin? When we first came to him, he spoke to us harshly. He accused us of being spies. We became angry that we were ready to wipe out Egypt, just like we did in Shechem. But we approached him. We humbled ourselves. We were speechless. We had no strength. And all it took was one look at his greatness and his power, and we ricocheted. So realizing all of this, Father, how do you expect for us to go back to Egypt 
without Binyamin. We can't. You do not understand, dear father, the severity of the rule that this viceroy gave upon us. Not a chance will any of us think to go down and not bring Benjamin with us. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, let's go and see now what uh, Yaakov is going to say in response. Vayome Yisrael. So Israel replies to them, Jacob replies to them, Lama here otem li lahagid laisha od lachem ach. Why did you do such a terrible thing by telling this man you had another brother? So now he's arguing with him. Like, why were you, what were you thinking that you should go and tell him that you've got another brother? You should have just kept quiet. Vayomru, and they responded, Sha'ol Sha'al Ha'ish Lanu. This man questioned us. He questioned us, and he questioned our family, like who our descendants were, who where we were from. He also asked if you were alive. Do you have another brother? And we answered him truthfully. We told him the truth. Did we know by giving him that information? He will insist that we bring down our brother. So basically, they were telling the truth because they had to say, listen, we were all sons of the same father in order for them to escape the charges of being spies. And we had no option but to tell the truth. And besides which, said the brothers, and this is from the Midrash, that this viceroy, he has mystical powers. Okay, he was able to describe our house. He was even told us what kind of wood was used to make up the beds we slept on in children. He asked us about our father and our brother, not because he didn't know about them, but he was testing us to see if we were in fact telling the truth. And that's the only reason we told him that we have a father and a brother. Because what happens if in fact he was not, if he was not, uh, like he knew the truth and we were in fact lying. So that is, that is the reason why we said what we said. Yehuda el Yisrael. So Yehuda says to, to Jacob, Aviv, his father, Shilcha hanar iti, send the boy with me. Venakuma venelcha venichye. Let us get up. Let us go. Let us live velonamut, and let us not die. Do you understand, Father, now it's a matter of life and death. Either you're going to give us Binyamin and we're going to go and we're all going to live and everything's going to work out fine or we are just all going to die. Gama nachnu, not only us, gam ata, also you, gam tapenu, and our children. If you don't allow us to take Binyamin, we're all going to perish. Anochi he'ervenu miyadi tevakshenu im lo heviotiv elav vehizgav lefanecha vechatati lecha kol hayomim. You can demand him from his own hand. Okay? Meaning, if I don't bring him home and I don't stand before you, I will have sinned before you for all 
time. Ki lule he emamanu ki ata shavnu ze paamain. If we wait, if we had not waited too so long, if we had not procrastinated, perhaps we would have come and gone already twice. So here you can see Yehuda gives a a a, a heartfelt beg to his father. This is now a matter of life and death, Dad. This is not about should we, shouldn't we, should we test him, should we not. This guy is a superpower. He knows more than you can actually think. He's so powerful. And that's just the bottom line. If Benjamin doesn't come with us, we are all going to die. And basically, here Yehuda gives his own guarantee that, that, that Yaakov can hold him responsible personally, and that if he doesn't bring Binyamin back safe and sound, he will always bear the blame, and he will have sinned to Yaakov for all time and will be excommunicated even in the world to come. So he said, let's stop dilly-dallying. Now, this was a much stronger assurance than what Reuven had said. When they came back and they told their father the first time, Reuben said, let me take Benjamin, and if not, you can you can kill one of my, my, my kill two of my sons. You remember he had four sons. And what we said over there was that he said that he will excommunicate his uh his his two his his two sons. Yaakov would excommunicate his two grandsons. That didn't hold enough weight for Yaakov. But now that Yaakov hears that Judah is prepared himself to be excommunicated in this world and in the world to come, meaning he will have lost everything, lost himself personally completely. And remember, Yehuda um, was destined to and, and, and did fulfill the prophecy that all the kings would come from Judah. Essentially, he was saying, you're throwing away the Jewish people. If I get excommunicated, um, and that means there will be no lineage from, from, from a house of kings. King David won't come by. Um, and Mashiach won't come. And so I'm trying to express, says Yehuda to his father, how unbelievably urgent and how important it is and how non-negotiable it is that we have to take Benjamin down with us. And at the end where he says, we dilly-dallied so long, we could have already brought Shimon back again. Remember, Shimon is still stuck there. So let's stop, let's stop faffing around. Vayomer Alehem Yisrael, we're now on verse 11. Vayomer Alehem Yisrael, Avihem, Yisrael, their father says to them, Im ken, therefore, a for zois, it seems that this is what it is, asu kachu mezimrata aret, take what, this is the way you must do it, take, um, take some, some of the land's best products in your vessels and go down to this man, give him a gift. And what should he give him? Tori botnim Give him some balsam, give him some honey, some gum, some pistachios, some almonds. Give him of the goodness of the land, like give him a, a thank you present. And not only should you take some bounty of, of the land of Israel, the kesef mishne kechu 
in your hand. Take twice as much money in your hand. And take twice the amount of money in your hand and return the money that was returned in the mouths of your pack. Because maybe that just all happened by mistake. Meaning you've got to give this guy absolutely no reason to doubt your honesty. Take your brother, kumu, get up, vishuvu, elaish, and go back to this man. Vekel shakai, and may God Almighty, yiten lachem rachamim, give you compassion, have mercy, show mercy, lifnei haish, before this man. Vishilach lachem et achichem, and you will let him send your other brother, veet binyamin and binyamin, but if I have to lose my children, then I will lose them. How dramatic, how heart-rendering, how horrific understanding where Yaakov is coming from. He can see now that he has absolutely no option. And again here, the Midrash goes and says, that um, he was looking at it from a divine providence perspective. We've spoken about this a lot, that our world isn't a world of haphazard circumstance and that we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Everything that we do on a daily basis will have a repercussion to it, good and not good. And so the Midrash goes and says he eventually acquiesced because he understood maybe by Hashkocha Pratis, by divine providence, that he was being punished for the grief that he had caused Yitzchak when he received the blessing from him instead of him allowing to, be, to bless Esav. Because when Yitzchak saw Esav come in, remember the verses, it said that Yitzchak went into a terrible fit of trembling. And so too now. Yaakov is feeling the same feeling. He's in an absolute fit of trembling. But he realizes that this is the way it must be. And if this is how he has to suffer and atone for the sin of putting his father in that precarious situation, measure for measure, he too now is going to suffer because of what he did to his father. What presents was he giving? Well, there were a few that were mentioned, okay? Um, but one of the things that wasn't, that's not mentioned, um, a few that weren't mentioned in the actual verses, is the one thing, the first gift that Yaakov gave his uh, sons to take him was a chilazon. Now, chilazon is a type of shellfish. It, it comes from the snail family. And um, it is a very rare fish um, or snail. And it appears only once every 70 years. Now, why was he sending him something like this? Well, it's very, very expensive. And it actually plays a fundamental part in Judaism. If you go look at the mitzvah of tzitzit, of tzitzis, 
That's the 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 fringe uh, fringes that a man wears underneath his shirt. It it is like a shirt. There's four corners to the shirt, and on each corner there are strings attached, knotted in a particular way. Now, if you go, this is an obligation for all men um, and boys from a time of education, which we normally take from the age of three. A lot of men wear it all the time, and um, it is a source of protection uh, for them. And um, on the tzitzis, on, on, on the tzitzis, there is a number of strings, and if you look very carefully, you will see that one of the strings is longer than the others. And in biblical times, that string was dyed blue. It was dyed blue with a dye called techelet. Okay, and the reason why it was dyed blue, it says, Uri item otam, you will look upon them, uskatem et kol mitzvot Hashem, you will remember the mitzvot of Hashem. Why? Because a man will look down on the fringes that he's wearing, he will see the blue, the blue will remind him of the sky, the sky will remind him of his fear of heaven, and he will not come to sin. Now, after the destruction of the temple, um, three, three thousand odd years ago, um, we lost, we lost, the ability to identify this particular chilazon, this snail. And so custom was that now today, generally, when you look upon a man who is wearing the fringes or wearing the tzitzis, there is no blue string. However, in modern time now, in the last, I think, 10 to 15 years, there are certain opinions in Israel who believe that they have found the chilazon, and um, they are manufacturing tzitzis now with the blue string. So you might um, pick up that, in fact, you will see somebody that's either wearing a talus or a tzitzis that has a blue string, um, and hopefully they will have got it from a reliable source that, um, where the blue string is purportedly um, made or dyed from this um, so it was a very rare and expensive dye, even and D-Y-E, in, in the time of the Bible. And so giving it as a gift was, was considered something like really, really, really big. Um, we're also told that Jacob gave his sons a number of precious stones that would protect them against the evil eye. And then they took the honey and and the, the armored extract and, and all the other stuff as well. And one of the things um, that he made sure was to ensure that they were 100% squeaky clean and to take back um, the money and to be forward with it. Okay, because he says to them, take the money in your hand, meaning don't just throw it into the sack. You must make a point of returning it because this will be a sanctification of God's name, a Kiddush Hashem. In general, the rule is if, uh, you know, a, 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 a person forgets something or makes a mistake in his calculation, albeit there can be some um, ruling that allows you to keep the money because they didn't know about it, they're not missing it, you can walk away with it. It is far more virtuous to return money or, or whatever it is, back to the rightful owner. In fact, on the contrary, if we don't, we could, God forbid, put ourselves in a situation 
where we have a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name. And we've seen actually in the last little while, I know on 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 TV, I've actually seen two or three times where um, there've been like snippets on 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 the cable TVs in America. Uh, I recall one situation where a religious Jew bought a secondhand table from from somebody and um, he brought it to his house and then they couldn't fit it into the, the the room that he had bought. So they started dismantling it in order to get it through the door and lo and behold, um, he found something to the tune of, and I stand corrected, but something like $100,000. Now, again, in this situation, it could very well be that he could keep the money because nobody knew about it. The seller did not, you know, sell it without knowledge or whatever have you. But he actually went back to the guy and they found out something to the extent of that the grandmother had hidden the money there or somebody had hidden it. And they couldn't believe the honesty of this Jew and it hit cable TV, the NBC and CBS. It, it, it went all over the place and he was interviewed. And when interviewed, he went and said, this is the right thing to do. And so this is a chide to us, to me, to you, always to remember when you see something lost or something that doesn't belong to you or somebody who has given you the wrong money or, or, or any, any, any situation um, that you'll find yourself in, that in fact you ensure that you do everything um, and everything in, in, in your, your ability to return that which has been lost. And as for Benjamin, Yaakov continued, you have my permission to take him, go meet with the Egyptian and um, do what you have to do. And the Midrash goes and says, when he said all of that, the brother said to him, we only want one thing from you, Father, and that is you say a prayer for us. And that is why in the last verse that I read, he says, Vikel Shakai, I'm not pronouncing the God's, God's name correctly, but may the God of protection protect you, have pity on you, so this and, and let this man, let, let, let God Almighty make this man have pity and let him give you back Benjamin and your other brother. Now, the way that he mentions, the brother mentioned by Yaakov denotes Shimon. The other brother means he was actually giving a bit of an inadvertent prophecy, meaning Yosef. So he was saying, may God protect you that you're bringing back Yosef and Shimon and Benjamin. But nevertheless, if I meant to lose my children, then I will lose them. I've lost Yosef. I will lose a Benjamin. And that's why he uses God's name, Shin Dalajud. Shakai and the die part of it means enough, meaning that May he who said enough to his world also say enough to my troubles, for he recognized that from the time he was born, he didn't have any rest. When he was in the womb, Asa fought with him. And then Asa drove him mad after they were born. Then Rachel died in childbirth. Then he suffered because of Yosef and now of Shimon. And now he was going to suffer because of Binyamin. And so his prayer was a prayer to God Almighty that enough if you could say enough, have enough, um, enough um, uh, uh, compassion that I will, in fact, um, not have to mourn the loss of more sons. There was a beautiful letter 
that Yaakov penned to Yosef. And I'm going to read it shortly after this break. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So here's the letter that um, that Yaakov pens to Yosef. And I'm reading this out of the Midrash. From your servant Yaakov, son of Yitzchak, son of Abraham, the first priest, to the mighty wise ruler, Tzapanat Paneach, viceroy of Egypt. Greetings of peace. As you know, my Lord, the famine has become very severe in the land of Canaan, and I am forced to send my sons to your land to procure some food to sustain us. There are 70 men in our household, and I am very old, not just from years, but from troubles. My eyes are heavy with tears, weeping for my darling son, Joseph, who disappeared suddenly and now has been gone for 22 years. I have not forgotten him for a moment. I ordered my sons not to go through the same gate when they came to the Egyptian capital. I also told them to go through all the city, each one to take a different street to look for my son Joseph. Maybe they would be fortunate and would find him in a some forsaken place. But as a result, you accused them of being spies and spoke to them harshly. You did not do that to anyone else. People come from the ends of the world to buy grain and they buy what they need and return home without anyone asking them a thing. I am all the more surprised because I have heard of your good reputation. I hear you are wise and intelligent and that you interpreted Pharaoh's dreams perfectly, predicting this terrible famine. How is it possible for you to make such a mistake as to suspect my sons of being spies? One look at their faces should have told you that they are not that kind of men. Now, Your Excellency, I am sending you my son, Benjamin, as you have ordered. I plead with you that you take good care of him until he returns home to me with his brothers. Remember your history. You must know what my God did to an earlier pharaoh who took my grandmother, Sarah, and to Avimelech, who took her to his palace for just one night. You, are, you certainly know how my grandfather, Abraham, fought against the four kings and was able to defeat them all. In fact, he wiped out his entire army. I am also sure you've heard of now about my two sons, Shimon and Levi, who massacred the entire city of Shechem because of their sister Dina, as well as their defeat of the eight Amorite kings. All of these involved supernatural miracles, for our God is omnipotent and he listens to, your, to our prayers. So I swear to you that when my sons come and, and tell me that you have falsely accused them and have imprisoned Shimon, I was ready to lift my eyes in prayer, and if two tears had run from my eyes, it would have made dust and ashes out of all of you and out of your kingdom. But I said to myself that since my son Shimon is in your power, I will not harm you, for patience is a virtue. Therefore now, my sons are coming to you with Benjamin. Be careful to treat them well, and when they are ready, let them come home. God will then make you famous and protect you from all evil. Peace be with you. How is that for a letter? Yaakov gives Yehuda the letter and tells him to deliver it personally to the viceroy. Verse 15 of chapter 43, The men, the sons, the brothers take the tribute, the gift, they take the double money, 
Lachu biyadam, they take it in their hand as their father had told them. Ve'et binyamin, and they take Benjamin. Ve'yakumu, and they get up. Ve'yerdu mitzrayim, and they go down to Egypt. And ve'yamdu lifnei Yosef. They stand before Joseph. And on what day do they arrive to stand before Joseph? The Midrash tells us they stand before Joseph on a Friday. Verse 16. Joseph sees Benjamin's with them. He says to a person who's in charge of his house, Bring all of these men to my house. Kill an animal and prepare it. Right? He was going to have an early brunch with his brothers. Um, he, he too obviously keeps Shabbos. Um, I am going to eat lunch with them. And he basically tells this steward to prepare two meals, one for Friday and one for Shabbos. And he gives orders as well, says the Midrash, that his brothers be shown the animal and that it's slaughtered um, properly because they were not allowed to eat the Gid Hanashe. So he told the, the, the steward, go and slaughter the animal, prepare the animal according to Hebrew ritual. So the steward does as Joseph tells him. And the man brings the brothers to Yosef's house. Vayiru ha'anashim. The brothers become very frightened. Like, you know, they just wanted to do the transaction. Can we have some grain? He has the money. He saw Benja Benjamin. Give us Shimon. Goodbye. Good luck. Now, suddenly, things are being diverted again. And now they've been taken to the viceroy's home. So they became very nervous. Kihovu beit Yosef. Because they were brought to the house of Yosef. So they say between themselves, You know why we've been brought here? Because of that money that was returned to our packs the first time. And watch, this is going to be an excuse now for him to turn on us, turn on us, attack without warning, and take us as slaves along with our donkeys. Understand, nobody was taken to Yosef's own house. So they understood that if they were going to be taken, them and their donkeys and everything, that this was the end, um, end, end of them. The Zohar, our Kabbalistic uh, writings say, Woe is to the people who do not keep the Torah's commandments, and woe is to them when God summons them for judgment and reckoning for their deeds. For we know that Jacob's ten sons were very powerful, but when a young servant, just an oki, summoned them to Yosef's house, they were terrified. So how much more so must one feel when God summons him on that fearsome day of judgment? For a person must therefore ponder how he will answer for his actions before God. So um, they're really, really being chided um, with, with, with Yosef 
and, and getting really, really nervous. And I think that this is a lesson for us. We get so nervous about SARS. We get so nervous about things that are going to happen to us, what the government is going to say, all of these things, okay? Um, and we shake in our boots. But how many of us shake in our boots when we know that we are going to stand in front of God in judgment when Rosh Hashanah comes by, that God is watching us every single day. And if we are going to do something wrong, we are going to unfortunately suffer the consequences. Where is our fear of heaven? And obviously we answer that we are human and we, we, we land up functioning in this world through our five senses. And it's kind of like what you see is what you get. But in truth, what we can see from here, there is a much greater reality. And not only Yaakov, but his sons realized that this was much bigger than them and that they were being set up perhaps because of all the anguish that the brothers had given on Yaakov and all the anguish that Yaakov had brought upon Yitzchak. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes, so we're just going to go through a few more verses. So obviously they're nervous. So verse 19, they approached this man, Asher al-Bet Yosef, that was in charge of Joseph's house, and they speak to him at the entrance of the house. They're too scared to even walk into Yosef's house. So they're going to try to exonerate themselves before they've even stepped over the threshold into Joseph's house. And they said, If you please, sir, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we left and we came to the, 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 the hotel, the inn, and we opened our packs, everyone, every man's money was in the mouth of the pack. And it was our own money in its exact weight. So now we have, we want to bring it back to you. We've got it in our hand. And we brought additional money with us, Lishbor Ochel, to buy additional food. We don't have any idea how that first set of money landed up in our packs. So they, they come out. They, they blurt out the truth as, 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 as loud and as quickly as they could. And the, the servant says, Shalom lachem, relax, everything's fine with you. Relax, it must be that your God and the God of your father gave you a surprise in your packs. You know, you won the lottery, okay, we, we don't want the money, it's fine. I received your payment. And with that, he ignores the fact that they want to return the money back to them and said, come, I'm going to go and um, bring you back to Shimon. And with that, he brings out Shimon um, and he made it seem as if Shimon had been in chains and he had now been free, even though we know that things were looking. Finally, he brings them into the house of Yosef. He gives them water. They wash their feet. He feeds the donkeys. And we are going to stop over here because Joseph is just about to make his grand entrance. And that is now going to be um, the drama of him reuniting with 
his brothers. Hope you enjoyed it. I absolutely love learning um, the Midrash and the whole story behind the story. And I hope you enjoyed it too. Shavua Tov. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you same time, same place next week.